a Radio 191 FM podcast. Mr. Speaker. All right, it is that time on a Monday morning. It's time for politics. Maureen, to you, John. Kia And Maureen, to you, Vivian. Morning, how are you? Good, good. Yeah, turn that mic around. All right, there we go. There we go. All right, we're in. Right, yo, uh, politics, of course. Um, a story that's back in the news at the moment for a few different reasons. Uh, euthanasia. Um, another strong push to uh, make it legal. Um, there's been a few things happening. I don't know if you guys are aware of what happened in South Africa with the former Dunedinite who um, was charged with um, assisting his mother uh, to die a few years ago, spent some time in jail, uh, and now has um, been charged and and pled guilty to assisting five people in South Africa to die. Um, In house arrest, well, he's going to be in house arrest for the next two years. He's got a five-year... Um, suspended sentence as well, so um, it's a big, a big story there. Um, and of course, um, you know, it, it's always popping up in the news. Let's have a look. Um, what is the law around it at the moment? Where do we sit, John? Um, euthanasia is currently illegal in New Zealand, um, uh, and, and giving any assistance um, in any way to, um, to help someone die. Um, is illegal as well so that the case you um, cited in South Africa is um, yeah, the exact situation that would happen in New Zealand if someone was found guilty of assisting another person uh, to die, even if that person was uh, clearly and, and completely um, uh, wanted their life to end due to suffering pain, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so the the reform process is to, uh, to a lesser or greater degree, uh, make it legal uh, for someone to consciously choose to die under very strict conditions, um, mind you, uh, and and to gain assistance mm-hmm. in dying. Um, Vivian, is there much support for this in Parliament? We know that there's the end of life bill um, from David Seymour. What are, what are the other parties thinking? Um, I think that the or the approach from both National and Labour um, has really been a just a conscience vote, which mm-hmm. I think is the best way to go about an issue like this. Um, no one's really taking a very strong stance either way from within sort of say the National MPs. I know someone like Maggie Barry is taking a strong stance against euthanasia, mm-hmm. um, but other than that, I think it's sort of it's been quite a balanced mix and a good mix um, from both parties as to people who are supporting and people who are against it. Talking to one of the MPs, Hamish Walker, um, about his time on the select committee hearing people's proposals regarding this, he said, you sort of sit down, someone will come in and completely convince you one way, then the next person can completely convince you the other way because it's such a such a hard issue to sort of put your pulse on it. Yeah. Um, but I think you're seeing a lot of MPs really going to their electorates and saying, what do you think? Yeah. This is one of those issues where, you know, you don't want to get it wrong, you don't want to vote vote in a way that's definitely going to you know, screw yourself over or, you know, not necessarily be the best for the country going forward. And yeah. I think, um, yeah, sort of looking at uh, the general sort of gist of things, a lot of people have been, yeah, sort of fearful of this legislation due to sort of a few, um, I guess, fake stories that have sort of been circulating online, like 12-year-old children getting, like, 
you know, killed in the Netherlands and things like that, and it creeping down and people going, oh no, when you turn 80, we'll just euthanise you now. These kind of things which just aren't true. Mm-hmm. But then there are some very legitimate concerns as well around the safeguards around it. And I yep. think that, um, well, David Seymour's done a pretty good job if you have a look at legislation about putting in so many safeguards it looks like it'd be almost impossible to be euthanised in New Zealand. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, people still want more safeguards, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. Hey, John, um, the World Medical Association and the New Zealand Medical Association both say uh, euthanasia is unethical. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of opposition to it, isn't it? Who else is coming out and saying no? Uh, um, certainly uh, the main churches in New Zealand, both the Catholic and Anglican churches, and Salvation Army, um, are all strongly opposed to euthanasia. Of course, though, um, those bodies just don't have the weight they used to several decades ago, where um, um, if if churches made a statement on moral issues or on legislation, party policy, etc., it carried weight. Um, We live, New Zealand's a very secular society now, and even um, amongst... um, uh, maybe 40 to 45 percent of the population that identifies as Christians, um, uh, they don't necessarily look to their churches uh, all the time for moral guidance. Um, but I think the yeah the fact that the New Zealand Medical Association is opposed to euthanasia reform is a biggie. Uh, they have a lot of weight. They represent um, doctors in New Zealand, um, and and I think a lot of people who might not be swayed by um, religious groups could well be swayed by a professional medical organisation. Um, I guess their position comes from the idea that a doctor has an has an ethical duty uh, to to um, care for their patient and to um, uh, make sure they have um, a, a full recovery uh, with whatever disease or issue they've got. And it would be unethical, even if the patient um, is, is adamant that they need their life, it would be unethical for a doctor uh, to assist in that person's dying. There's hypocrisy here, I think, though, in that... Um, uh, in practice at the moment, we do have forms of euthanasia, um, such as if, if a person is clearly at the last moments of their life, uh, doctors will over-prescribe uh, certain medicines which will uh, assist in that person's uh, dying and make that process easier. Um, well, with um, uh, where there are cases where uh, babies are born uh, who they have no cognitive ability at all uh, or are likely to lead a, a horrific life due to um, uh, certain disabilities, uh, it's certainly the case that, again, uh, those children will be allowed to die. So in practice, we have some form of euthanasia already. Um, I think what David Seymour is doing is saying, well, we need to actually uh, bring that up to the open and, and actually have some laws and regulations around uh, how that process is carried out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I mean, there, there, there are risks, there are big risks, uh, risks to those vulnerable people. Um, you know, you'd hate to say it, but there are greedy families out there um, you know, they're just waiting for grandma to to kick the bucket so they can get the cash. Uh, and there are people that are easily easily manipulated in that way. Um, and yes, I know that there's a lot of safeguards, but you can never be a hundred percent safe. So there, you know, there are total risks. And even judges are coming out at the moment and saying, you know, we can never really tell 
whether someone's being coerced into doing something or not. Uh, we just got to work on our judgment. Um, so, uh, you know, if you can, if you can't, if it can't be fail-safe, should it be allowed? No, it can't be fail-safe. And um, let's say this this legislation becomes law um, in euthanasia within certain limits is legal in New Zealand. There's inevitably going to be future cases uh, where uh, someone has given the OK uh, uh, to be given assistance to die, and it turns out that, yeah, there's been pressure put on that person or that person uh, maybe has some form of dementia, say, that didn't really allow them to make a, a conscious conscience uh, decision over ending their life and um, is that an argument for uh, not allowing any euthanasia legislation um, possibly but there's also the, the counter argument that again uh, we, we effectively have a situation of, of um, euthanasia being carried out in New Zealand in certain cases this brings it up as the open and this allows uh, regulation um, and, and it yeah, it just it, it allows a further debate, an open debate to happen. Mm-hmm. How do you think it should be decided, Vivian? Do you think you know the MPs have the moral authority to do this, uh, or um, do, you, do you think that it should be the people? I think it should be should be the MPs because you know we can't give everything, make everything a referendum because mm-hmm. this is why we elect MPs. If we made all the tough decisions um, by referendum, then why would we bother having MPs? Um, <laughs> Sort of like we are going to have the cannabis referendum, but I think throwing another referendum in the mix, say at next year's election, would be just unnecessary. Um, I think the MPs do have the authority because they are genuinely the representatives of the people. They're going to have to go out and take a survey of, you know, all their constituents and all their supporters. And if they go, look, now nah, screw you guys, I'm going to vote completely against what you want. This is what I believe. Then they'll just get booted out the next election. Mm. And that's sort of how how it should work, I think. And um, so but does po- it work like that though? Do they get Almost. out? <laughs> that's what you like to think. That's a, a dream democracy. It's, it's how it should work. Um, mm. But I think sort of going back to one of the earlier points regarding the uh, legislation and how people um, should decide whether they die or not, you mentioned sort of greedy families. It is, that is the one risk. I mean, if one person dies because of this legislation yeah. um, who really didn't want to and was pressured into it, then I think the legislation fails. Um, and I think what we need to have is have it so restricted and so limited that when a person does make the decision it's the decision where they you know, are going to die within the next say week and in that period of time when they know it's this complete decline then they can make that decision to die but I also completely disagree with the idea that they could um, delegate that power so if they've got a mental illness or a mental disability I don't think they should be allowed to let their next of kin decide I think that's just, that doesn't seem right at all mm-hmm. but um yeah, it's uh, going to be a tough one. But I'd back to MPs. I think we definitely have to leave our MPs up to decide for this one. If they can't make a stand on this, then um, we can't really let them make a stand on anything. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big one. It is a big one. Um, it'd be interesting. I, I think it should be down to the people. But, you know, and like you said, we did vote these people in to do the job for us. That's yeah, the whole purpose. make it easier so we don't have to do this. But and yeah. if we leave it up to the people as well, I was explaining to my friend, uh, my flatmate, and I said, oh, what are your thoughts on euthanasia? And he sort of turned to me and said, what do you mean? I said, like, euthanasia. And he had no idea what euthanasia was. Really? Yeah, so this is um, a whole sect of no, well-educated people from Dunedin at Otago University who have no idea what euthanasia is. 
so it's sort of a wee bit scary um so if we leave it down to them to decide that's my one worry because i always you almost do get caught in the echo chamber sometimes um when you are very interested in politics that you forget that some people just do not care and um aren't interested but they'll still participate yeah 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 um, i would argue though that um um if, if you were to have a referendum it would um bring this uh discussion into the public arena and people who yeah, might not have any interest or knowledge about the politics and morals of euthanasia would be exposed to new ideas. I have a problem, though, with the fact when it's a conscience voting rather um, than being voted on party lines, uh, the fact is that um, we're just getting a, a small proportion, tiny proportion of the population in terms of the MPs deciding on this crucial moral ethical issue, and none of them, well, very few of them have actually stood on a, 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 on a platform and, and said in advance where they stand on this issue. So it's different if, say, all the political parties had a set line on euthanasia, had campaigned on that issue, uh, and, and people had partly taken into account political parties' position on euthanasia in terms of voting for them. That's not the case. So I think where, where parties uh, don't have, and I'd, I'll be a bit hard here, don't have the guts to actually take a position... On, on such um, issues, I think it should be um, a referendum where we all get to decide. Um, and, and I do say, yeah, I, I guess um, not many political commentators would say this, but I think it's a bit cowardly when political parties uh, leave it up to the individual MPs to decide on an issue. Um, I really think uh, there should be a battle of ideas uh, before elections on crucial issues like this, and political parties should make clear where they stand. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, and I guess they're not except for ACT, but they've only got one MP, so... Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they more for taking yeah. a, a firm stance on this. Um, uh, in, in, in terms of opposition euthanasia, we've got Maggie Barry taking a firm stance as well. Um, but I think the idea that uh, MPs are going to go to the electorate and get a general feeling of what, where the electorate stands and then take a conscience vote with their, taking that into account, to me it, it's... It kind of sounds like bullshit because uh, unless they take a rigorous scientific um, uh, survey of the electorate, they're not really going to know where the majority of people stand. Um, and we all know that polls and surveys are, are deeply flawed. Um, and uh, if, if they are voting on the basis of where the electorate stands, why not just have a referendum then? I can't remember the last time my MP asked me anything. <laughs> Neither. We've got a pretty useless one here in today, not going to lie. Um, but uh, looking at sort of, like, once again, I'm going to go back to Hamish Walker because he's a good bugger. Um, he had a meeting in sort of late last year in Gore, of all places, in the town hall there, the town hall, RSA hall. And um, it was all about euthanasia, and it was a debate between David Seymour and Bill English. And he was there, and there were over 400 people in that hall all participating, all with different views. Mm -hmm. So I think that MPs not going out and doing it, that's their fault, and they'll get voted out the next election. That's kind of their job. But, but they won't get voted out yeah. because, uh, well, first of all, um, a large number of MPs are list MPs, uh, so they only get voted out if the percentage of the party vote significantly drops. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't... It, is it really a central issue uh, that people are going to decide whether they vote for Labour, National Greens, etc., purely on the euthanasia issue? I, I think for most people it wouldn't be. So again, if, if you say the important thing is for MPs to vote on the basis of where the electorate stands, um, why not make it a referendum then? 
Well, I think the MP should vote on their conscience, but take into account what their electorate says. Otherwise, if you haven't got the support of your electorate, then genuinely you won't win. But yeah, I, I, I just don't think that's the case uh, in, 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 with this issue of euthanasia. I don't think it's going to be the central issue uh, of how people vote. And again, what about listing fees? Listing fees uh, can't get chucked out by the electorate, so um, they don't need to take into account uh, the stance of wherever they live, for example. Well, they've got it easy then, don't they? Um, mm. Let's move on to the second story, because, I mean, that, that, that's a big debate, the euthanasia one. And, uh, I mean, well, first off, I guess, when when is... What's happening with the bill right now, actually? What, where is it sitting? Um, so uh, the first stage of the bill um, has uh, passed through Parliament. Uh, so the first vote, it was 76 votes for, 44 against. Now, just to make it clear, some... Some MPs will vote for the first stage of the bill just to allow it to, um, for the process to kick in, um, even though they might, they might possibly decide that they'll vote against the final reading of the bill, um, which I think is quite an honourable thing to do, saying, OK, we want to debate on this, so we'll vote for the first stage. Um, uh, after each stage, there will be the allowance for more amendments, and certainly um, what Vivian was talking about in terms of the stricter amendments that are coming in uh, with this legislation, that, that's all part of that process of um, certain stages of the bill being put forward uh, to Parliament. Um, uh, because it's not a, a bill backed by a political party or the government, it's quite a slow and long process. So um, before the final vote is put up, it could be easily be another year or so. Um, although it's more than likely that the, the final vote will be before uh, the next election, but it is certainly a long and slow process. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move along to international politics now, um, and the chess game in the Middle East just continues. Uh, US and Iran having a bit of a uh, a bit of a flare up at the moment, which began with a couple of um, uh, attacks on uh, some oil tankers in the Straits of Holmes, which of course um, I think something like 60 odd percent of the world's oil passes through the Strait. Mm. Um, a lot's been going on since then. Uh, can you tell us exactly what's been happening, John? Yeah, so this, this is all a uh, big, big deal. Um, uh, the background to this is that uh, um, Iran signed up to a nuclear deal uh, to, to limit limit its um, uh, nuclear energy program um, and, and um, America was signed up as well as a number of European states. The Donald Trump administration has pulled out of that deal and has imposed um, uh, more and more sanctions on Iran. Iran is suffering economically as a result. Uh, uh, there's, yes, there was the accusation that um, that Iran has uh, been targeting uh, oil tankers, um, and just recently they shot down a drone, an American um, unmanned uh, plane, effectively. Uh, the Americans accused uh, Iran of shooting that down in international space. Uh, Iran said the drone crossed into uh, their own territory, which gives them, of course gives them a, a, a legal right to shoot that down, according to international law. Um, Donald Trump was going to lead, uh, was going to push through with uh, retaliation and bombings, and then within the last 10 minutes of, uh, of being able to pull out of that decision, he did exactly that. He decided um, not to retaliate, ostensibly on the basis that it, he was told that it would cause um, up to 150 deaths, and he, he thought that 
was uh, um, too much uh, in terms of uh, retaliation for uh, where no American deaths had happened. Yeah, but of course they did retaliate in cyber, uh, with a cyber mm-hmm. attack, um, disabling their missile guidance systems and the whatnot in, in um, Iran. Um, uh, it's an interesting one, Vivian. Pulling out of that deal uh, with the excuses they gave uh, it didn't really hold up for me. Um, what do you think about... I mean, why do you think they did this? Is this a purely economic thing from their standpoint? Was... You know, oil from Iran coming on to the market, did that bring down the prices and did that somehow jeopardise um, America's like economic security? Um, I think it was sort of retaliation in that way, but um, I'm not, not really sure. It's sort of a, it seems a, way, a bit sort of crazy, and I'd, I'd personally, despite not ha- obviously having international intelligence on this, um, don't really believe that Iran would have done this. Um, mm. It doesn't seem to quite add up. It is very conspira- like a bit of a conspiracy, but... Um, it doesn't seem to make sense for them to do this. It seems like they've been exporting oil. It seems to be going extremely well, and they seem to shot, have shot at a originally a tanker that was a Japanese tanker, mm. leaving from that sort of area, and then now to shoot down a drone. Um, and if you look at the footage, it doesn't seem like it was you know, the Iranian government necessarily, but it was the Iranian Revolutionary Front or whatever. Their, oh God, yeah. their, armed, their armed police, or armed, not their place because we've got a whole um, political thing there which is hectic um, and it sort of it doesn't quite add up and I think Trump can sort of recognise that and um, by sort of saying okay well to cause 150 people to die for you know essentially no deaths on our side would be completely unnecessary but I think the idea of a cyber security attack and that response was probably a good way to sort of flex a wee bit of muscle and go look like keep in line here yeah, we'll shut you yeah. Down. <laughs> or else like watch out but um, yeah, no, it is interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah, um, John, do do you think Trump wants to go to war with them? Um, you know, what's his game? It's always hard to know what goes on in the mind of anybody. Uh, but if we if we look at um, Trump's uh, statements over the years, uh, he's no neoconservative. So neoconservatism is seen as an ideology and political uh, theory where um, America should project military, political and economic power in the world uh, and, and, and try and export its values in terms of having a liberal democracy and a free market. So um, the, the neoconservatives were very much in the ascendancy during the early stage of the George Bush Jr. administration. Um, now we've got John Bolton as National Security Advisor, and he's very much seen as a neoconservative, someone who wants to uh, export American values um, at the end of the gun, so to say. Uh, um, Trump, though, uh, uh, has expressed um, over the years strong opposition to that whole sort of neoconservative um, uh, platform. Uh, he expressed um, strong opposition um, uh, during the last election campaign to George Bush Jr.'s war against uh, Iraq um, and he said it was based on lies uh, in terms of weapons of mass destruction and that it, uh, it was a, a waste of money and life for America. Um, so in the fact that he pulled out at the last minute in terms of this military retaliation um, against Iran does possibly indicate that he he's, he has huge doubts 
um, about where America should be going in terms of its, its relationship with Iran. Um, certainly uh, a lot of media pundits are saying that John Bolton, as National Security Advisor, will be pushing hard for military conflict and possibly even for regime change um, in Iran. Um, uh, with other people in the administration, and Pentagon, um, etc., uh, are, are quite possibly uh, more cautious about a military confrontation of Iran, and are telling Trump um, that it will lead to significant numbers of deaths. Um, Iran is not Iraq. Um, Iraq was a bit of a pushover. Um, Iran uh, has a far bigger um, population than Iraq. It's four times the size in, in um, territory, three times the population of Iraq. Um, and and so, yes, uh, a, a major military confrontation would, would lead to significant numbers of deaths on both sides. And maybe um, uh, Trump getting the advice in his, uh, yeah... Um, very hesitant to engage. All right, well, we're running out of time. Uh, thank you both for coming in this morning. It's okay. Good, oh. Thank you. All right, have a wonderful week, and we'll hear from you tomorrow, John, and we'll see you again next week, Vivian. Cool. Cheers. Good. This was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.